0: Welcome to The Informer, Australia's most diverse news and current affairs program. I'm your host, Gavin Hine. As Victoria and New South Wales continue to open up from lockdown, we chat with some performance artists about how they've gotten through the shutdown of the arts industry and what lessons we could learn from how we've adapted. But first tonight, the Board of the Sydney Mardi Gras has proposed changes to its constitution that would see a number of board members, not installed by election by the organisation's members, but by other board members. The proposed changes are to be put to a vote in an upcoming general meeting, and have been criticised by some of the organisation, namely the activist group Pride in Protest. Ryan Sambel has more.
1: The Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras Board of Directors are pushing for changes to their constitution which would change the way directors are appointed. Currently, Sydney Mardi Gras Board consists of 8 directors elected to that position by members of the organisation. Under the proposed changes, only 5 directors would be elected, while the remaining 4 would be subsequently appointed by the board. Directors would also only come up for election every 3 years, as opposed to the current 2 year terms the proposed changes will go to a vote at a general meeting later this year. The board has pushed for similar changes in the past, most recently at last year's annual general meeting, but they were voted down by a majority of members. For a change of the board's constitution to take effect, a proposal requires 75% of the vote. The decision to push this proposal again has caused some division within the organisation, specifically drawing criticism for being anti-democratic. One such critic is Pride in Protest, an activist collective which holds two positions on the Mardi Gras board. Wei Hung's is a member of Pride in Protest, and she believes the move is intended to minimize the impact of groups like Pride in Protest within Mardi Gras.
2: Basically, what it is is it's Mardi Gras, uh, Mardi Gras trying to uh, reduce the amount of democracy within the organization, uh, so as to like reduce the impact of like opposition from anyone that's like left of the Liberal Party. Um, asking for, calling for change and calling for uh, input
1: from the organisation to actually like fight for the rights of queer, trans and minority people. The proposal also sets out gender-based quotas for appointments. Under the proposal, the board would have to be at least 40% men, 40% women and 20% reserved for minoritised groups such as non-binary people and people of colour. The change would also require at least one Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander director. Mardi Gras says this proposal is about ensuring the leadership reflects the diversity in the organization's membership. However, Wei says this change risks being tokenistic.
2: I think, like, it is a way to, like, try and create the appearance or the veneer of being a diverse organization that uh, represents the interests of, like, multivariate backgrounds uh, of um people of various minority groups um they uh like just do not represent these groups at all in the form of like the position they take in relation to the police and the pride uh and the positions that they take in uh, accepting sponsorships from the likes of Qantas or Amex and in the case of Amex um Amex uh pulled out of uh, an American craigslist style um website called Backpage uh, which was commonly used by U.S. sex workers uh to conduct their business and when that our uh, website went down, like a lot of sex workers are forced into the street and forced into positions of like increased like heightened danger uh, when performing their, their work, which is like already illegal in the United States under Sester Foster. Um, and so like when you take money from something like Amex, you're basically like granting a big FU to um, or directing a big FU towards like sex workers in the community.
1: In a summary of the proposed changes to its constitution, Mardi Gras says the changes to the appointment of board members is necessary to ensure that its diversity policies are enacted. By reserving four board appointments, Mardi Gras says it will be able to appoint more diverse directors without the chance element of elections. Mardi Gras also stresses that appointed directors would be up for election at the end of their terms, rather than remaining in that position indefinitely. However, despite Mardi Gras' stated ambitions for its proposed constitutional changes, Wei believes they aren't listening to the communities they represent.
2: Mardi Gras, like, with this constitution has just depicted how clearly out of touch it is from its core membership, from its core community, from the people that vote in the AGM, from the people that care so deeply about what Mardi Gras represents, not as an organization, not as a single party, but as an idea, an idea that represents the emancipation of queer people so they can live and exist freely, free from state persecution, free from like risk of like loss of employment, free from like worse economic and life outcomes. Um, Mardi Gras is like, Mardi Gras like clearly just tried to like placate the community with a band aid fix in the form of like affirmative action targets in the form of um like like really limited uh, attempts of um, appearing like politically engaged by uh, promoting uh, the work of equality Australia without actually having any meaningful tangible commitment to like actually advancing the rights
1: of its community. Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras was contacted for an interview, however, no one from the organisation was available before deadline. In a statement sent to the informer, the Constitution Review Committee at Sydney Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras said the review of Mardi Gras's constitution is ongoing and members are encouraged to participate in this process through whichever channels to which they have access. Furthermore, they say that representatives of Pride in protest have not engaged in the constitution review process. In the ongoing review process, Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras say they welcome any and all feedback from members, including pride in protest. This is Ryan Samble for The Informer.
3: You're listening to The Informer on Joy 94.9. Missed an episode? Listen back to The Informer podcast at joy.org.au forward slash The Informer or search Joy 94.9 The Informer on your favourite podcast platform.
0: In Victoria, the art scene has more or less been shut down since early 2020. As Melbourne is coming out of hopefully its last significant lockdown, Jack Cranjan spoke with some performance artists about how we adapted to the changes of lockdown and what lessons we can possibly take away from all of that. The coronavirus
3: pandemic wreaked havoc on so many industries, but the arts industry hopped it pretty bad, particularly for those in a city known for its vibrant art scene like Melbourne. As much of our city, industries and communities come out of a sort of 18-month hibernation, we spoke with artists about how they responded to the challenges of the pandemic, what it's like now and what some of the longer term effects might be.
4: My name's Emma and I am a theatre maker and a sort of work in contemporary performance mainly, sort of interdisciplinary across performance music. I was sort of started out in Sydney and then I moved to, I lived in Canberra for a while. I moved to Melbourne actually just at the beginning of lockdown so I moved to Melbourne at the beginning of 2020. A lot of my work was quite early on in 2020 like it was all development rather than production. It did pivot to an online context so it was I was doing a sort of full-year residency with um, PACT Centre for Emerging Artists in Sydney, in which I never <laughs> went to Sydney. We pivoted a few times. So the first time we are like, oh, we're not going to get to go to Sydney. But then they found partners for me to go in and be in a theatre space in Melbourne. But then also, that was again cancelled when we went into that the second lockdown. So it was sort of a year of constant pivots, I think. And then it went into a fully online um, base. But it was quite interesting because I did a work in progress showing uh, where I zoomed from my bedroom in Melbourne, where we were still in stage four lockdown, into a full theatre in Sydney. I interacted with them via sort of chat online. But, yeah, I was still just zooming in from my bedroom. So it was quite strange experience to hear that kind of live audience but be... (laughs) Yeah, in my room.
3: When a lot of artists headed into the unknown of COVID lockdown lurch, they had a choice to either adapt their work to the demands of the day or leave and come back later. Alex Morris decided to stick it out and there were a few upsides to that.
5: It did mean a lot of the teaching that I do around the world. I work a lot in the US and Canada and New Zealand. Um, It meant that I could actually start working um, as I would have, not obviously overseas or interstate, but still teaching online. So... In essence, I was able to keep up a lot of the connections I had um, professionally around Australia and around the world using technology. It obviously made things very hard, as uh, singing by yourself is very different to singing in a group, which is um, a lot of the work that I do with singers. Um, But it, it, it got us through those times. And if anything, we realized that the meetings we had or the gatherings we had were trying to keep up our skills but there were more to foster and create and ensure that communities still existed while we were quite separated. Uh, my name is Alex Morris and I work as a composer, a choral conductor and vocal coach most of the time. I also work as a drag performer and DJ so things have been very weird and different for me over the last 18 months. I've always been one to say yes to everything and I've gone through periods of my life where I've reached meltdown and realised that I have to be a bit more selective about the gigs I take. And I think I'm at a point in my career now where I can be a little bit more selective about those gigs. In saying that, though, I performed five different DJ sets in the last week, and we are not even fully open yet. And let me tell you, I am wrecked. (laughs) Um, But I think for me, it's just going to be a matter of managing my own abilities and expectations, because at the moment I'm kind of saying yes to everything, because I'm worried that saying no means I'll be disconnected from a certain work channel. Um, But I do need to be a bit more selective, I think. And also just accept the fact that my body, my brain... doesn't have the stamina that it did 12 months ago, 18 months ago, um, then it could take a bit of time for me to get back into a place where I can be working as much as I was. Um, Because even though during periods of lockdown, I was still doing 60-hour weeks at times, there wasn't that necessity for me to be on the go and moving between three different locations per day. So it is a new set of expectations that I have, and I'm definitely wrecked after the weekend. I just I just did artistically.
3: It wasn't just artists that struggled to navigate lockdown. Venues also had trouble keeping up with constantly evolving government demands around density limits, patron caps and COVID-safe plans.
5: It was really hard to navigate, you know, what the density limit was and what the rules were and how they came into practice. And I think what venues and... and um, and licensed venues are struggling with at the moment um, is just keeping up with how quickly the changes are being made. Even this weekend just gone, venues weren't really ready to be running the events they could run because they had less than a week's notice to be able to put it together. And that is not a slag on anyone, it's not a slag on the government, it's just I guess a product of the fact that people really moved fast with getting vaccinated and it worked.
3: The queer community in Melbourne is well known for having plenty of venues to connect with others and while many of those locations might not have had their doors open, people have found other ways to connect.
5: One thing that I always celebrate about the queer community is how much they show up for each other and how tight it is Um, and I think that for a lot of the queer community the lockdown ensured that they did maintain connections both artistically and, I guess, friendshiply, um, because we do rally together, we do support each other. But in saying that, there's a lot of people that really rely on queer spaces and queer venues to feel themselves, you know, that that they are often the only places that they can go and really truly express themselves. And sure, there were a lot of digital offerings for people to, to do the same, but it really isn't the same for a lot of people. So I think that I think a lot of the queer community felt quite isolated over the last 18 months, um, especially those that didn't have a tight queer circle around them. I think the queer community did a lot to try and engage with those audiences and engage with those people, but without the spaces and without the venues, it was hard for a lot of people. Um, and I do think that what I've seen already is is community coming together and celebrating once again, which is the one thing that I think was really missing for a community like ours that is that is so unique um, and is filled with you know every color of the rainbow.
3: Now as Melbourne and really Australia reopened for good, there are some lessons to be learned from the last two years.
5: Uh, There's a lot of venues and a lot of organisations who are trying to now find that balance between offering a digital offering um, as well as an in-person offering. Um, it's also really important, I think, that what this pandemic has shown us is that we didn't necessarily take into account a lot of access issues for those that couldn't come to venues for a variety of different reasons. So being able to offer both a digital and in-person offering, um, I think, is super important, not only for those who have any anxieties around returning from the pandemic, but just in general making access available for far more people.
4: I, I find the idea of this sort of return to normal a sort of an interesting concept because in some ways it's like we've had a generational <laughs> event, like it's a life-altering time period and I hope that we reflect on that and see some things shift maybe and don't go just back but think about what we want to envision the future for the arts as. Something I think that is kind of interest. I don't think online will ever replace a live event. I think they're... But I think that something that has been opened up is what some of the possibilities can be, um, especially in terms of access and things for online. Like I have a couple of my friends who live with a disability were saying that stuff that they've been campaigning for for years and years and years, and then people just adapted immediately. And it's sort of there's something I think that we really need to reflect on about how seriously we do take access and, and when it could be. You know, it was a very achievable thing.
3: This is Jacqueline Jannan for The Informer.
0: As always, if you have any comments or feedback on our stories or have a tip on something we should cover, please get in touch with us, either via email, theinformer at joy.org.au or on our Facebook and Twitter. And you can catch up on episodes at any time. Just search The Informer, Joy 94.9 on your podcast app. We'll see you at the same time next week.